You know, there's a frequent theme throughout the scriptures, and it's one that I love. A few that of, of the passages that are I'm going to mention here are some that uh, I just am so encouraged and challenged by. But this theme that I have in mind and that we see throughout the scriptures is that we specifically as believers should be those who account for our lives because the end is coming near. You know, we have been saved, we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, and we look forward to that day where either we go to be with the Lord or the the Lord comes back for his church. And that's a day that is going to be a special day for all of us. The day that we see the Lord face to face. But the constant encouragement that is paired with that hope that we have is that we should be walking circumspectly with our lives. We shouldn't be living uh, uh, lives that are free of discipline, lives that are are lived just however we want, but we should account for our lives because the end is near and we're going to see Jesus face to face one day. 1 John 2, verse 28 says, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And moving down into chapter three, verses two and three, he says, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In Hebrews 10.25, believers are encouraged to continue coming together in fellowship and to not isolate themselves, especially in view of the coming day of Jesus. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul charges the believers to seek heavenly things, not the things of the earth, but to pursue those things which are above Because one day soon Christ, who is our life, will appear. And this is to be our pursuit as believers, is to pursue those things that are above, to pursue the things that are important to God, because yes, he's instructed us to, but it's for our benefit and the growth and the edification of the church and for the furtherance of the gospel. Another encouragement we have closely related is here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 7 through 11. Peter is writing to a dispersed group of believers uh, throughout various regions. And he's writing to them about the inheritance that they have in Jesus. That they've been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus. And that they are being formed together as living stones into that building of the Lord. Christ being the cornerstone. He's writing to them in the different relationships that they are to have as Um, uh, husbands and wives and how the elders are supposed to operate within the church. He's also writing to them about how to approach suffering and opposition as they are facing persecution. And so Peter's writing to encourage them in these things. And uh, in chapter four, kind of sandwiched between two sections where he talks about suffering for the Lord and how Christ suffered for us, he says, This in verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he gives a few exhortations here for those believers. Uh, in view of verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So the first thing he encourages them to do is to be serious and to be watchful in prayer because the end is near. You know, the end of the age was something the early church had constantly on their minds. They were anticipating Jesus to come back, to come back even before they had physically passed on and gone to the presence of the Lord. They left this earth. So Peter calls a dispersed church to be unified in pursuit of the Lord through prayer in the midst of the world heading toward the end. In an age and in regions where the church was facing frequent persecution, Peter calls them to consider how it is that they are approaching their spiritual walk, and specifically prayer, their communion with the Lord, and their pursuit of Him. So with this understanding that the end of all things was near, it was at hand, knowing that at any time Jesus could return for the church and the world be plunged into the tribulation years, knowing that the ruler of the age was trying to snuff out the church through persecution, Peter says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. This first term, be serious, it carries the idea of being sensible or being reasonable, having a, a clear mind, a right understanding of what might be before you keeping a diligence and a right attitude about something. And this other phrase, be watchful, carried the idea of being sober or being self-controlled. It carries it with it the idea of, of being calculated or measured in, in how you approach something with control. Both of these two uh, words are actually quite closely related in the original language and their use throughout uh, the scripture. And, and he's carrying this idea and connecting it with their prayers. So he says, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. See, the believers were to be serious and watchful in their prayers, not neglecting that worship and communion with the Lord through prayer. And, and that ex extends to us as well. You know, we are nearer now than when Peter wrote this book. We are nearer now to the return of Jesus. And even just as believers, we are nearer now this day, February 19th, 2020, than the day we first believed. And this is our expectation is that Jesus, he's coming back and he's coming back soon. There's this idea and, and we believe obviously in the, the imminent return of Jesus, meaning that he can come back at any point in time. There's nothing specific that needs to take place, no prophetic event 
in the biblical timeline that needs to take place in order for Jesus to come back for his church and at, at the point of the rapture and then the seven-year tribulation follows after that. But uh, he could come back at any point in time. That means that we must walk circumspectly in our lives. We must take account for how we live the minutes and the hours and the days that the Lord entrusts to us. But why be serious and watchful in our prayers? We know the end. Well, there's this time, the, the time lapse that, that we don't know the, the exact period of it. It could be two more minutes. It could be 20 more decades or, or however you want to talk, think about it. But why should we be serious and watchful in our prayers? It's because the end of things is at hand, but we have work to do. And we have an enemy that is coming against us. I've mentioned our salvation draws nearer than we first believed, but we have been left with a mission. The church has been commissioned to preach the gospel to a lost world. For this we should be prayed up. And we individually, we each have a purpose. Uh, we've been given a purpose and we've been given works to complete in the meantime until the Lord returns for us. And we'll have to give an account before the Lord for how we've used what he's given to us. And I think especially what Peter has in mind here is this, is that we have an enemy who would love to get us off track any way that he can. And we have a, a flesh that is constantly in opposition to the work of the Spirit. And so as temptations come and as opposition comes, and as challenges face us in our ministry and in our evangelism and in just the course of life as we endure trials and temptations, we need to be prayed up. You know, we, we all understand the importance of prayer. You know, and I think all of us understand and probably have the thought, yeah, I should probably be praying more. I'm at the top of that list. You know, we, we understand that, that need for prayer. And, and this is something that is so important to our walk with the Lord. And um, one of the things Peter will warn the believers about uh, in the coming chapter, in chapter 5, is that that very point is that we have an adversary who is on the constant prowl to derail and devour whomever he can. And if we are not serious and watchful in our prayers, we are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. We are vulnerable to uh, the challenges that uh, face us, and um, we're more easily overcome by those things. So he says, be watchful, be serious in your prayers, especially as you see the day, the end of all things coming. In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Ephesians 6.18, I'm not going to go there, but prayer is listed at the end of all of the armor of God. And prayer, I believe, is one of the ways by which we apply that armor. We literally arm ourselves with the things that Paul lists out there for us. And it's one of the ways that 
we draw in close to the Lord and we know the heart of God and we are strengthened by his presence and he speaks to us and encourages us and it's the way that we bring him our cares. It's the way that we bring him our anxieties and in doing so, we, we bring the things that are on our hearts to the Lord and when we are serious and watchful in our prayers knowing that the time in which we are living Jesus would come back at any time. We are strengthened and ready for the day and for the tasks the Lord has given us to walk in. And we are ready for that full frontal attack that the enemy could bring at any point in time. I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 6, how he talks about an evil day that will come. And, and that's a day that none of us really has on our calendar. You know, we don't know when that day will come. We don't have it necessarily circled. But those are those days of heightened spiritual attack that we don't know when they're coming. But if we are serious and watchful in our prayers, if we are accounting for our life and our mission in our communication with the Lord, we'll be ready for those days when they come. This is the foremost aspect of our lives in which we should be alert. So be serious and watchful in your prayers. And, you know, it's not just that we should be praying. I think... Again, we understand that, but, but make sure we're praying for the things Jesus wants us to be praying for. Make sure that we're bringing his heart and his mind, right? As, as we learned in the, the past weeks, Troy's been teaching us, pray like Jesus, right? We, we praise him and we ask him for his kingdom to come, for his provision, for his protection from temptation, making sure that we are praying for the inner man to be more reflective of the characteristics of God and for the fruit of the Spirit to be born in our lives, to make sure that we're praying for the will of God to be worked into and to, work, to be worked out through our lives, and to make sure that we're be pr- to be praying for the Spirit of God to be at work through our lives. We need to be alert of clear and sound mind to pray as we ought, knowing each day we are closer to seeing Jesus. And isn't it an interesting thought? We don't know with biblical certainty, but could it be that Peter has in mind the night in the garden where he and the sons of Zebedee were with Jesus, and they had fallen asleep and were not watchful to pray? We have an accounting of this in Matthew 26, and I'm just going to read verses 40 and 41. It says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I wonder if that might be going through the mind of Peter at this point in time, saying, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and be watchful in your prayers, lest you enter temptation. As one commentator says, this awareness of the end at hand should disturb complacency and make them face daily living with a new sense of eternal values. It provides further reason for abandoning a life of self-indulgence and for practicing self-discipline, prayer, and loving service of the brethren. So, brothers and sisters, let us be committed and watchful in prayer, committed to seeking the Lord always at every turn, looking forward to the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior. What a day that will be. Now, he continues on in verse 8, and he gives 
another encouragement, exhortation to them. He says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love is an interesting word, especially in the English language. One word with a billion definitions. Uh, really, uh, we, can, we can say I love pizza and we can say I love my wife. They don't mean the same things, right? There's, there's different levels. And, um, and so this, this word love, um, you know, unfortunately, it's been hijacked um, by a lot of people and a lot of causes and, and so forth. But he says, have love for one another, have fervent love for one another. And the love that he has in mind here is that sacrificial love that Christ displayed for us on the cross. Peter exhorts the believers to love and to serve one another. He says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. To love, in the biblical sense, means to do the best for another person, even at your own expense. And as we look at this word in relationship to the body of Christ and the relationships that we have as brothers and sisters, Peter says that this virtue is to be the chief virtue of all that marks our relationship with one another as believers. He says, above all things, love one another. So why walk in love toward one another? Why is this encouragement given? Well, he says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And this comes from Proverbs 10, verse 12. This principle is also in several other places in Scripture, but Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Now, I know this is probably a newsflash, but we aren't perfect people. Um, I'm not a perfect individual, you know, we, we each, we are having our own walks with the Lord. And there are ways in which God is refining us all. And as a family, there are times where people will hurt us. Uh, you know, people might not walk in love toward us. But deeply in rooted, rooted in love is this idea and this concept of forgiveness. And a covering from condemnation. We aren't perfect people. And there's times where we will be hurt or others will, uh, we will hurt others. We might sin against others. That is sure. But love and loving one another provides an opportunity for an exercise of forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is a challenging topic. Um, but in Scripture, we are called to be eager, generous forgivers. After all, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's because of the, the love and the, the forgiveness of, of Jesus that we, we experience this wonderful redemption and this freedom. But just like Jesus, we are called to be those who love one another fervently. You see, forgiveness is God's design. And it can be hard to stomach Sometimes, and it can be hard to forgive when we have been hurt. But rest assured, if we do not allow 
this love that we are called to have for one another, especially in these times where we are wronged. If we don't allow this love to pour through us toward one another, bitterness will set its roots deep if we don't forgive like Jesus has forgiven us. And you see, when we walk in fervent love for one another, this love, it covers a multitude of sins. And forgiveness is a matter of our will. Has somebody wronged you? You know, it could have been somebody in this body. And, and maybe this is something that you're walking through now. Uh, it could be a, a believer who is um, across the country or, or, or whatever. It might be a family member of yours. Has somebody wronged you? Love them. Extend forgiveness to them. One commentator says, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some larger ones, are really overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, and every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts about, to Satan's perverse delight. There is nothing more that the enemy would like if he cannot uh, stop someone from being saved. He loves to, to drive a wedge between people and into the body of Christ. One of the things that Jesus accomplished on the cross, we read about in Ephesians chapter 2, is the unity of the body of Christ. This was accomplished on the cross. And to allow division and bitterness to settle into our hearts and to allow the enemy in our flesh to drive that wedge between us is to neglect an incredibly important part of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that is to bring us together in unity and love with one another. So our love for one another includes this aspect of forgiveness when we are wronged. And there's another aspect of this as well. This also, this covering, this love that we have for one another, it covers sins in the sense that when sin is confessed as a brother or sister in Christ, um, we aren't broadcasting or, or repeating this wrongdoing to others. You know, there is grace and mercy at the foot of the cross of Jesus where sins are forgiven and when when they're confessed. Now, the sins aren't covered in the sense that they're concealed or they're hidden, they're brushed under the rug. But in the moment of vulnerability and confession, the love of Christ has so saturated the body of Christ that when that confession comes, when that repentant believer is restored, they're embraced and discipled. And this is, in fact, how we have experienced Christ. And, and so, you know, when, when we have those moments where, you know, a sin is confessed and somebody is coming and they're wanting to be made right with the Lord, we receive them in the love of Christ. And, and we seek to restore them and encourage them and strengthen them with the word of God and with his grace. And in that moment of vulnerability, there's not condemnation. That's from the enemy. But love covers a multitude of sin. We don't neglect sin. We don't brush it under the rug. Nor do we broadcast it and, uh, and share it with the world. Um, 
that's not how the Lord handles those things. He does so with grace and mercy. And so in these ways, through our lives, we can allow uh, the Lord to to work in us and, and to have fervent love for one another. And a part of this love, he continues on in verse 9, is to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Um, as an outworking of the love that we have for one another, the exhortation comes to be hospitable to one another. And really, what does this mean? Well, we ought to serve one another and, and meet the needs of those around us in the body of Christ. This is something that uh, we are to be on the lookout for, is those who might have need or, or those who are lacking in some area. As the Lord gives opportunity, we, the body of Christ, are to come in and to support and provide for them and to open homes and, and so forth. And I love the addition without grumbling. Because this implies something. The understanding here is that being hospitable toward one another will, in many cases and circumstances, come with a cost to our own lives. Ministry is uh, frequently inconvenient. And that's okay. Right? Because the body of Christ is ministry. Those who are sitting to your left and to your right, they are ministry opportunities for you. And so many divine appointments can be glossed over and missed and neglected because of a, a, an excuse or a, I don't have time or it's, this is really going to inconvenience us. And, you know, it's not that I think that's a systemic thing here, but so often our, our minds can go to those things, well, oh, we, I don't know if I really can do that because I'd have to do this and this and rearrange this and take Sally to soccer here and have find somebody to pick her up here. And I just don't know if we can do that. Well, listen, we are to be hospitable to one another, aren't we? We're to care for the needs and the concerns for the brothers and sisters who are around us. And this is an outworking of the love that we are to have for one another. Now, this idea of hospitality and really what one thing that we believe Peter is, is um, directly mentioning here or, or has in mind here is uh, this would be especially important in their time. You think this is written to a, a church that had been dispersed. There are missionaries who are traveling to these different fellowships. And um, when they come, roll into a town, the believers are all they had. Uh, or they could, they could stay at an inn or, or so forth. But um, they traveled and, and stayed in homes of believers, and, and also because many churches were held in homes, it would be necessary for believers to be hospitable, opening up their homes, and, um, and this is how we are to live and, and walk with one another. Our eyes should be outward toward those of our brothers and sisters who maybe are in need of hospitality. Our love for one another will cause us to be hospitable to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Uh, but these opportunities for ministry, they're not always going to be the most convenient for us. But our walk has never been about convenience. It's been about faithfulness. So look out for those opportunities where you have uh, the privilege to serve your brother and sister by meeting their need, whether it be financially or whether they need a meal 
or whether they need a place to stay. Look out for those opportunities and uh, look out for that temptation to uh, neglect that need for convenience sake. Now, verse 10, he continues, he says, Each one, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, in view of the end of all things, be watchful in your prayers. Have fervent love for one another. Be hospitable to one another and minister the gifts that God has given to us to one another. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men. And these are to be used for the edification of the church and for the glory of Jesus. You see there, he says, as each one has received. The understanding is that if you are a believer, you have received a gift from the Lord. And here he's specifically talking about those gifts that we minister to one another. And these we would call spiritual gifts. We read about them in Ephesians chapter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Every believer has received a gift for use in the ministry of the Lord, in the church, and evangelism. There is not one believer unequipped. If you have trusted Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift. You have been equipped by the Lord for service in his kingdom. And they are to be used in ministry, both in the church and as we evangelize the world. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In the Lord's sovereignty, he has chosen to impart spiritual gifts to each member of the body of Christ for the profit of all. So we have this understanding now. We each have a spiritual gift to be used in the Lord's service. And there's an exhortation that follows this truth. It is this, minister it to one another. Uh, a deep study of the Greek language and the technical translation of that is, get up and use it. Use the gift. And actually, that is one of the translations. Use it. I'll read from 1 Peter verse four or chapter 4, verse 10, from the New Living Translation. It says, God has given, given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them. Use them well to serve one another. And I believe this encouragement is given because there is inevitably an opposition in our lives, whether it's from within or from without, there is an opposition in our lives to being functioning ministers in the house of God, whether it's from our flesh or from the enemy. And what a needed reminder in view of the day where Jesus is going to come back and we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account for our lives. What a needed reminder that God desires to work through us and that we are to be those who use the gifts that he has given to us. You know, probably one of the more heartbreaking things that, that I have seen, and I know that you have probably seen something similar, is whether it's at an activity or um, 
of function, seeing a child or a youth sit on the sidelines as others are engaged fully in the activity. And, and we having experienced and, and know what that, that activity brings and the fun that they're having and, and the joy that it brings and the excitement and the experience that it is. And you see that child sitting on the side and the thought that runs through my mind at least is you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. Look at the fun that they're having. Look at the, the, the experience that they're having. And I often wonder if, if that's sometimes how the Lord might look at us when we're sitting on the sidelines. I, I've given you this gift and, and I want you to use it. Don't, don't sit on the sidelines there and, and allow that gift to, to go to waste. Use it. Look at these things that I want to do through your life. Use the gifts that I've given to you. And we allow so many things to keep us from using the gifts that God has given us. I think one of the biggest is fear. You know, a fear of stepping out in faith to use the gift. Uh, the fear that we're going to be ineffective or, you know, another one is that, you know, other people are far more qualified than me to do this, this certain ministry venture. You know, a sense of inadequacy. Who am I to do that? And I think there's... Um, there's something that's uh, healthy about that, that sense of inadequacy to a degree. We shouldn't allow it to keep us from doing the work of God. We should recognize that, yeah, I'm not fit to bring anything of eternal value out of this task that God has called me to, but I know that through the gift, he will bring about that fruit. But we can, we can allow our, our, um, ourselves to be sidelined by that sense of inadequacy and, and sometimes it's just apathy in the service to the Lord. You're just not involved. You're just not seeking to be used by the Lord. Maybe other pursuits deprive your schedule of being a functioning member of the body of Christ. But what, what Peter reminds the believers here of is this, that we have a responsibility to the gifts. It is a privilege, but we have a responsibility to the gifts that God has given to us, and we are to use them, he says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Good stewardship of the manifold grace of God is using the gifts he's given to us. Um, God has intended us to be active, functioning members in the body of Christ, both inside the church, out in the marketplace, wherever we go. The gifts of the Spirit aren't just for a, a meeting like this in, the, in this type of setting. Uh, they go with us where we go. They're not contained to these four walls, but we have this exhortation to use them. And we must set aside those roadblocks that would keep us from being good stewards of the gifts God has given to us. He's going to, to ask us an account of what we have done with what he's given to us. And we must be those good stewards. As it says in 1 Corinthians, it is required in stewards that one be found Faithful. Faithful. Are you a faithful steward? Am I a faithful steward of the gifts that God has given to me? And going back to those things that would keep us from serving the Lord, using the gifts, fear or inadequacy, apathy, a steward is to be found faithful. It doesn't say it is required in stewards that one be found perfect or one be found really experienced. 
or one be found without concerns. No, a steward is to be found faithful. Faithful. To be good stewards, he goes on to say, of the manifold grace of God. Uh, What a phrase. You know, God's grace has come to us in so many ways, and that's really just what he's trying to, to communicate here, is that God's grace has come to us through various ways, and in part through these gifts, which are varied. Each of us has gifts. They are varying gifts. And so we each have a purpose and a role and a function in the body of Christ. And he goes on in verses, verse 11 to instruct how to use these gifts. So as the day approaches when Jesus comes, as that day comes near and near, we need to steward the gifts that God has given to us. How do we steward them? Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. So each gift, each member of the body of Christ has its own role and purpose and is valuable to the work of God. I think perhaps my favorite part about this is that we have these gifts. They are supplied to us by God, and they are powered by God himself. It is the Lord literally working through us to accomplish his will. God will supply all that we need in our service to him. So we can and should have all confidence in him and in his might and ability to work through us. When we shrink back from ministry opportunity that God is opening up to us, it's because we're attempting to do things in our own power. Maybe when we burn out and lose compassion for the people we're ministering to, it's because we aren't doing these things in the ability that God supplies. I know I have objected to God's call at one point in my life, like Jeremiah did, because he saw himself too young to be effective. But God said, I've put my words in your mouth. Moses also objected to God's call because he saw himself not fit to be the spokesman to Israel. But God said, who formed man's mouth? I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. We as stewards of the gifts of God must be faithful. We must open our lives and and make ourselves available to be used by God. He's going to supply the power. He's going to supply the fruit. He's going to supply what we need in order to do that which he calls us. We do it. We who have those gifts where we speak forth the word of God, as he says, we shall do so as God empowers and fills our mouth to speak by his spirit. And we who have those gifts where we minister among the people and meet the needs and pray with others and uh, so forth. And you think about all the opportunities for ministry, not just here in this fellowship, but as we go out, as we have opportunities to share the gospel, as we have opportunities to to serve brothers and sisters in their home, or especially as we have opportunity to serve here in the various ministries, in the Good News Club, in the home fellowships, as we lead discussions there as we clean the building and upkeep the building through the gift of 
um, helps and so on and so forth. There is such opportunity for the Lord to be at work through us. We just need to allow God and give him opportunity to work through us. Surrender ourselves to him and be those good stewards, determined to handle rightly the the gifts that God has given to us. So we need to do these things and not only use the gifts, but do so with the ability that God supplies in our lives. When we serve God as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, glory and honor is brought to the name of Jesus. He continues on. We'll end there in verse 11. He says, That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This this is his design. As the end of all things is drawing near, as we are watchful in our prayers, as we love one another and minister that mercy and grace and forgiveness to one another, as we are hospitable to one another, as we serve and minister the gifts to one another, the Lord is glorified. And may that be true of our lives and and may that be true of us as the body of Christ that the Lord would be glorified through Jesus in the way that we serve and steward the gifts that he's given to us. We'll close in prayer. The worship team can come on up here. Father, I thank you that you have redeemed us. That we are living stones being built up. That we, the body of Christ, Lord, we have been, we've been given purpose and function. And I, I pray that we would recognize, Lord, confirm in our hearts and that day is coming where we're going to see you face to face. And what are we doing with our time? Are we stewarding the things that you've given to us.